Hello and welcome to episode number 186 of the Pioneering Today podcast. Today's episode is a really exciting one and I hope that you enjoy learning this information as much as I did. We are going to be talking about Herbs that you can grow, not only for their medicinal benefit, though we're totally going to be covering those, but also their beauty, so to use them in your landscaping and as food and putting all three of these together in what we are calling a kitchen garden. So in times of old, most homes would have both a kitchen garden, so right outside the kitchen door where they could easily and quickly access both things for cooking, and also to use in their natural medicine cabinets. Then they would have the larger gardens that were your bigger crops that you were doing on a much larger scale further off on the property. So today we're going to be focusing on creating a kitchen garden that feeds your family, obviously, is a wonderful, beautiful place of beauty. And also you use medicinally. But the cool thing is the plants that we are focusing on today are a lot of those lesser known plants that many people over time don't even know that you can use as medicine. So one of those plants, and it's actually the reason that this whole entire episode was born, because I needed to pick this person's brain when I found out that you could use hollyhock the same way that you can use marshmallow root medicinally. And I was like, oh my goodness, We need to talk because I did not know that. And if I don't know this and I'm this excited about it, you have to come on the podcast because I need to share this information with my listeners. And I need to find what else I don't know about some of these other lesser known plants, especially when it comes to using them as food and medicine. So, okay, I think I've talked enough about this. Let's just dive straight into this episode because I'm so excited for you to get all the info. And just as like a quick housekeeping note, you can get access because if you're like me, like I love to listen to it. And then I'm like, dude, I need to write these down. Like I need this, have this information. So you can get the full written blog post, all of the goodies that we're going to be referencing and talking about by going to melissaknorris.com forward slash 186 because this is episode number 186. Okay, let's get right to it. Well, I'm really excited for today's guest. One, because she's coming back again. And two, she's actually one of my best friends in real life. I'm so excited. We were talking about putting in some of our new spring plants and new garden beds. And she started mentioning some of the plants she was putting in. And I'm like, hold up. You have to come on the podcast because I don't know about some of these. And if I don't know about some of these, I'm sure some of my listeners don't. And they're going to want to know just as much as I do. So without further ado, Carolyn, welcome back to the Pioneering Today podcast. Hey, Melissa, it is great to get to be here and here with all your listeners. It's always fun to get to chat with you guys. I agree. You're one of my favorite people. So I know you're going to be one of the favorites of my listeners if they're not familiar with you yet. Let's just dive right in. So you guys moved to a new property. So sometimes that can be exciting because you can kind of start from scratch. And sometimes it can be a little bit overwhelming, or if you're moving to a piece of property that already had gardens. And I think this is where it really comes in for me because I have gardens on our homestead. We've been on our homestead for going on 13 years now, but I'm at a much different place with what I want out of my gardens and what I'm growing than I was even 12 years ago. Some of these tips you can apply if you're putting in obviously a brand new garden, but if you've got existing garden space, I think that these tips are going to also help you as well as you make them be the most effective for what you want where you are now. So let's dive into, most people are familiar with an annual vegetable garden or doing a vegetable garden and growing some fruits, but specifically we're talking about a cottage garden. What does a cottage garden mean to you? And so then everybody knows kind of what we're really referencing within the scope of this episode. Okay, so to give just a little bit of a backstory here, we moved on to this new piece of property this last fall, and it has a beautiful, very large annual vegetable garden. And we provide a lot of food for our family and for a lot of guests that come around. So we really needed every square foot of the space up in that vegetable garden for annual vegetables. 
But as a herbalist and somebody who just loves making our own cosmetics and herbal products and loves getting to use herbs, I have been just dying for the moment that I can put in a garden that has much more functionality than just the food side. And that's where the cottage garden comes in. So the moment we got to this place, I picked out the little front yard that's a little bit of lawn. And I said, that's no longer lawn. That is now going to be my cottage garden. And let me tell you, this is about a 1,200 square foot space. And it now has over 600 plants in it of about 45, 50 different varieties. And so it's just a wonderful place filled with all these beautiful plants. They're all babies right now. So they'll grow up and they'll be huge. But in a cottage garden, you really throw out a lot of the rules that happen in the annual garden. And a lot of times we see the straight rows in the annual gardens. And there's a lot of reason for that because if you're growing a lot of food, it really is more functional, right? You can hoe a lot easier in a straight row than you can in curvy lines where everything's all mixed up. So the cottage garden is this space to just throw out all of those rules and mix it all up. And for me, having that cottage garden, the plants that are going to go in there are going to have a lot of different uses. This is really important to me that each plant in there has to kind of be a Swiss army knife all in its own. Like it's going to give us some food. It's going to give us medicine. It's going to feed the pollinators maybe a cut flower. It really needs to have all these different purposes. And that just makes it this ideal place to have right off our kitchen. So in my house, it is right out the kitchen door. And it's just kind of this magical place with all of these different goodies that maybe aren't going to be highly productive on the food side. But when you look at their uses overall on a homestead or in a household, they're highly productive and very useful. Yeah. And I love that because as you really look back to pioneers of old and even further back looking at English cottage gardens and that type of thing, when we're going back hundreds and hundreds of years, you had your agricultural crops, especially if you lived on a farm or a homestead where you were producing your own food. But even in smaller homes, it was typical, even if they weren't growing a lot of their own food as an agricultural part, buying their foods in markets or that type of thing, most homes still had a cottage-type garden. Now, it might not have been as expansive as yours, which I absolutely love. You guys don't do anything small-scale. But the (laughs) purpose was to be able to walk right outside the door. And there was a beauty aspect too. But really, it was for stocking that home medicine cabinet. Some of it was for culinary. But the purpose was ease of use and right there. And so I love that you're like, that cottage garden is right outside the kitchen door. And I'm kind of really growing more into this. And if I will have in the resource section, guys, we'll have links to previous episodes and then some more things that we're going to be talking about more in depth that will help you as you decide to dive into this. But I was very much focused for the first decades of our homestead on just the food production. And I would say it was probably only been really the last five or six years where I switched gears. Now, I was using herbs before that, but I didn't really have them built into outside my door and into the flower beds and into the landscaping. So I've since really ripped out a lot of plants. Like I just ripped out a whole bunch of irises. One, they weren't doing very good. I hadn't been taking very good care of them. I'm like, I'm just going to rip them out. (laughs) And then instead, I'm putting in those pretty plants. So that's why I'm saying like, you can start with like Carolyn did. It was just a lawn and you're like, we are turning this into a cottage garden. But even if you've got an existing flower bed, you can still start to put this into existing landscape. So it really works kind of no matter where you're at, you can start to implement. So I just wanted to throw that out there. With a cottage garden, and I love things dual purpose. Oh, you're speaking my love language there. But I think a lot of us are familiar, you know, with a lot of the more, you know, well-known plants. So, you know, lavender and rosemary and mint and sage and echinacea, calendula. You know, I think a lot of people are really familiar. Chamomile, chamomile, however you want to pronounce that one, are really familiar with those. But one of the things is Carolyn was listing out the plants she was putting in. And I'm like, I didn't know that you could use that for that. So I really want to focus on going over some of those plants. But if there was anything else that you wanted to cover, 
like when you're designing and kind of planning out your cottage garden, we'll cover that. And then I want to dive into some of those a little lesser known plants for medicinal purposes, maybe a little lesser known plants as far as a flower, but the medicinal properties that they hold. Yeah, definitely. One of the things that I want to go over really fast is one, the usefulness of the cottage garden, because it becomes such a wild place where things are all kind of mixed together and you may have them in clumps, but one of the things that I feel is really important to the design of a cottage garden, being able to see what is in your garden. And so that takes a little bit of design work on the gardener's part, because you want to start with the low growing things, the closest to your walkway and get taller up as you go further back in your bed. And that just helps you to go ahead and see what's there and be reminded of what you have to use and what resources are at your fingertips. It also helps, you know, as you get a cottage garden that is more mature, many, many of the plants that belong in a cottage garden are perennials. And a lot of them want to take over the space that they're in, right? They're kind of spreading in nature. A lot of the plants that go in there are like that. So after you get an established cottage garden, really your job becomes to be kind of kindergarten cop, right? You need to go in and make sure everybody's playing fair, take out stuff, push stuff back, and just make sure everybody has their own room. And that really becomes the job, besides harvesting, of a cottage gardener once your garden gets established. So being able to see everything in your garden to me is one of uh, the most important elements of designing a cottage garden. And if you just have a single little bed, that might be very easy. If you have a larger garden with a walkway through it and you have beds on either side, that's where you kind of have to really start paying attention to those things. But then let's talk for a second about the different uses of the plants that can go into the cottage garden. So you guys have a different idea of what can be coming out of there. And then we'll get into some of the plants, like Melissa said, that can provide those things. Of course, you have your culinary herbs, and those are probably the most well-known. That's what we really think of. Now, in the United States, we've actually, like a lot of things, really forgotten about the diversity of culinary herbs that are available out there. And if you start looking to sources outside of the United States, you just get reminded quickly, wow, there are all these herbs, culinary herbs that we're really excited to be experimenting with is chervil. And that's really big in French cuisine. It's just something we just don't really have here. A savory is another one that I just love my savory out of my garden, but you just don't see it very commonly around here. So you have your culinary uses. And then of course you have your medicinal uses when it comes to your medicinal herbs. And we all understand exactly what those are for. And you can just spend your whole life just experimenting with new medicinal herbs. It's such a fascinating study to undertake all these different herbs. And I just love it when you get them in your garden, when you get a new medicinal herb in your garden, you just develop a real understanding of that plant. It's really neat. And I've gone to suggesting that people start growing the herb that they want to learn how to use before they even buy it and bring it in dried because you just have a deeper understanding of it all the way around. You know what it smells like when it's fresh. You know what it looks like when it's healthy. You just get a real sense for it. And I just love having them in the garden. Then, of course, you have food plants. And there are a lot of food plants that just don't really have a place in the annual garden, but should be in everybody's food planning. Things like sorrels, Good King Henry, Rocket, Lovage. A lot of these things are perennial vegetables or perennial greens that we've just forgotten about. But you know what? They're the first thing up in the spring and the first thing you can eat out of your garden most of the time. And so I just feel like I have this huge ally when I have these perennial greens growing in my garden because I've got my vegetable garden already done from years before because I have a patch of sorrel sitting out there waiting for me to go harvest it first thing in the spring. We put that food right in there. But then you also have things like cosmetic herbs things for making your skincare products. Let me tell you, I have six daughters. I have three <laughs> sons also, but I have six daughters. You know how much shampoo and face wash we can go through in this house? <laughs> it is amazing. 
So having our own resources for making our own different cosmetic products is just a wonderful thing for a household, a huge money saver. Then you have your cut flowers. Don't forget about that. You've got to be able to bring in beautiful bouquets of flowers that'll last on your kitchen table. And then as always, we want to be feeding the pollinators and bringing them into our space, birds too, to just make sure we have that diversity in our garden. So this cottage garden, you can see, I mean, it just does all of these things. It's so abundant, so productive, and just a lot of fun to have out there. And then on top of it, I don't even know how to put this in a good way, but it's soothing to the soul. When you go out there, you want to talk about having a wonderful prayer spot in the morning. You're sitting there surrounded by your plants and the bees are busily humming. There's just something that's sitting out in that beautiful spot and just that peace that just gives you that moment that God can just talk to you. And I think that for me, that should probably be up on one of the top parts, (laughs) one of the highest, most uses of this type of garden, because it just really speaks to us in a way that you can't when you're just busy sitting in front of the computer. Yeah. There's so many wonderful things that you said the decision on which plants you're putting in, the purposes, and making sure that you pick plants that fit all of those different purposes. But I have to agree, one of my favorite things spring all the way through fall is in the morning and then in the evening is to walk through the cottage beds that we have and the different beds that I've turned from just being landscape beds into being basically a cottage garden, though I still have a mix of some plants because I put them in because I think they're pretty but they don't have some of the other aspects and faucets. And I plan on putting more of those in as we go. In fact, I put a really big perennial order in and finally got them all planted just last week. So I've already made headway and I'm excited about it. But there is something about having those plants out there that's different than the annual vegetable garden, though I love our vegetable garden, but having those perennials and those flowers just to walk through. And I love watching how it changes It's such a creative thing and watching how it changes from early spring to late spring, from summer into fall. I love watching it because obviously it's living and growing its plants, but I feel like the actual colors and the different textures, like it all changes. I feel like I'm watching something being woven every season and it kind of changes. I really like that part of it. And you're right, having those perennials, oh my goodness, I love investing in those perennials because even though they do sprawl and I've had to rip some out and or divide them out as they grow. I feel like it's an upfront investment, but that it pays off for years and years to come in a different way than annual. So I think if you don't have perennials in, you really are going to love them. Oh yeah. And I feel like they're kind of insurance because we've all had those years where you're just like, I have no idea how the annual vegetable garden is going to happen, whether it's a family disaster that's happened in the background or something. You just have to kind of minimize some of the annual vegetables. And when you have a solid supply of these perennials, you kind of feel like you just have this insurance in the background. I'm always going to have a salad available to me. I'm always going to have greens for cooked greens. And yeah, maybe I won't have the tomatoes and the squashes and the things that I want to have, but I'm always going to be able to eat out of it because I have those perennials covering my back for those bad times. So I just love having that. And again, having those vegetables that are up first thing in the spring, I am eating off my sorrel most years before my spinach is even out of the ground. I love that. I think that's just wonderful. That is wonderful. I agree. I feel that way about stinging nettle. It's known, obviously, stinging is in there, but it really has a spot in my heart. And I absolutely love stinging nettle. Now, planting wise, it can take over and it has a tendency to be a little bit mean to bare skin. But thankfully, (laughs) it's very native here. So I really don't have to do anything and I can go out. It's more of a foraging plant. But I know what you mean. I'm like, boom, there it is. And it's so resilient. It just comes up. But let's talk about, because I'm really excited. I just planted them. It was part of that huge perennial order that I just placed and got in. And so I can't wait. It's my first year having them in the garden. And I actually had purchased them, planning to put them in because I think they're one of the most gorgeous, old-fashioned cottage flowers that there is. And then you were telling me you had put it in because you plan to use it like marshmallows. So I'm just going to go out and lead. It's hollyhock. And... So I want to talk about hollyhock 
And then also about how you can use it as a herbal medicine, because I had no idea that it had some of the similar properties as marshmallow did. It does. It is considered completely exchangeable medicinally for marshmallow. And so the hollyhock is just amazing. And, and the marshmallow too. But I love those hollyhocks because they're just so pretty. Like you said, they're just so old fashioned and they're so pretty. And I've grown marshmallow for years and I've grown hollyhocks for years. And I just finally said, I just always reach for the hollyhock. What's the point of growing the marshmallow? Because the hollyhock's so much prettier. And being that it's completely exchangeable medicinally, that just sealed it for me. So on the hollyhock, every part of that plant is edible. It's medicinal. It's really just a wonderful, wonderful herb. I use it as a cut flower. I use it, um, you can use it for food as a green. Now I find that the leaves are a little thick to be very pleasant. So I definitely would want that cooked down or in a soup, but you can use it for cosmetic uses. And of course the pollinators just absolutely love it. Medicinally, Hollyhocks and marshmallows are very mucilaginous, which means they're slimy, right? (laughs) You don't always think that that's a good thing. But when you need to soothe something, that is your go-to plant. It's either that or slippery elm. But, you know, growing your own slippery elm is just not feasible for most of it because that's a large tree. Anytime you have, say, a skin rash, any sort of inflamed skin, you have inflamed bowels of any sort, you have a sore throat, or you have a dry, raspy cough. That's where the hollyhock or the marshmallow, all in the Malva family, really, really stand out. And they're just wonderful for that. You can also put the flowers, the flowers are totally edible too. So you can put those in teas. Now they're not very mucilaginous, so they're not really the medicinal part, but I just love it when I can uh, take a few leaves of something and drop it into the salad or drop it into my cup of tea and know that I can consume that just fine. And they're so pretty. So when you go out to harvest your hollyhock, you're generally for medicinal purposes wanting the root of the plant. So you want to grow a good stock of hollyhock. You want quite a few plants in there so you can pull up a whole plant and the root's going to be really big. But the one thing that's different about using marshmallow or hollyhock is you usually want to make a cold infusion out of that, which means you're going to brew it in cold water instead of making it hot. You just put it in a jar of cold water and let it sit overnight and it's going to get slimy. (laughs) That's all I can say about it. But boy, does it work well to soothe different things. That's one of my favorites out there. And I don't even know, I planted an entire flat. I think I have over a hundred hollyhocks out in the garden of all different varieties, all different colors and sizes. And I love having them there. Oh my goodness. That sounds like so much fun. I think I only ended up with four. I'm really testing them here because I'm on... So Carolyn's in Idaho and I'm in Washington. So we're both in the Northwest of the US, but I am on the West side of the Cascade. So I'm about an hour away from the ocean and we typically get a lot more moisture than you guys do. And so in my area, hollyhocks can be really notorious for coming down with rust. So I'm just kind of testing them. I've been really strategic in planting them against the southern exposure of our house where I've got some rock. So it's going to radiate that heat and they won't, hopefully it will help them not come down with the rest. So I'm kind of testing them before I put in a ton of them just because I, if I'm harvesting them medicinally wise, even though you can use some different organic copper sprays and that type of thing on them, I'm kind of waiting to see if they'll grow here without coming down with too many things. Because if I'm using them medicinally, I don't like to treat them with anything, if at all possible. And if I do treat anything on our homestead, it's always with organic and natural methods. I'm really excited because marshmallow root is one of my go-tos. Like I use that, especially like you were saying for throat issues and those dry coughs. Like it's one of my favorites. I always have marshmallow root on hand. So I'm excited to try the hollyhock that way. But how do you use, and I realize that the root has the largest properties that we're after medicinally wise for all of the things that we discussed, but do the leaves hold any of those properties or not a whole lot? Yeah, they do. And it's really good to be aware of that if you're wanting to cook with them because they do get a little slimy and they will thicken things. And so 
in the same way that okra can be used to thicken a soup or a stew, marshmallow will do the same thing. So it's, it's good to be aware of that before you throw it in your chicken noodle soup because it's going to change the texture a little bit. So you can definitely use it that way. And that's a great way if you have first year plants in and you just don't want to harvest those roots yet, go ahead and use the leaves medicinally and give that a try. But yeah, they won't be as strong. It won't be as strong as using the root. Okay, good to know. And I plan on harvesting some of the leaves and trying it because obviously it's the first year and I can't bring, I can't pull those roots up yet, but I'm very excited for when I can. Yeah, thank you for the Holly Hawk information because that's the one I was dying. I was going to ask her and I'm like, I can't have her go into all of this detail while we're just chit-chatting back and forth. I have to wait for the podcast. So I'm so glad that you <laughs> come on in a hurry so that I could get that's my information good. on Holly Hawk. <laughs> but you had a couple other Yeah, ones. definitely. One that most people don't know, we all love our sunflowers, but most people don't realize that they're used medicinally and cosmetically. And the part of them that are used is the sunflower petals, the actual flower petals. They are a mild anti-inflammatory and they're really, really good for bringing shine to your hair. We all want that hair that just sparkles in the sunlight and sunflower is just a great way to get to do that, the sunflower petals. So that's another one I just love having. Again, they have that old-fashioned look. If you're really advanced, you can grow the seed, the oil, black oil sunflowers and get your own oil out of that. We haven't done that yet, but it's on our list of things to do in the next year or two. And then we grow our sunflowers so that we can harvest the seeds for sprouting during the winter because we can't grow year round here. Uh, we just get down, you know, we're zone four here, very cold, and we get covered with a solid layer of snow. So we do quite a bit of sprouting in the winter. And so we just grow our own sunflowers so we can harvest our own sunflower seeds to sprout with. This becomes that really multifunctional plant. Of course, the pollinators love it. It makes beautiful cut flowers. But then you have this great cosmetic ally to make different infusions, usually an oil infusion, to put on your skin or put into conditioners, homemade type conditioners. So we're really having a lot of fun with that too. Yeah, I love that. And I just did some sunflower uh, microgreens, actually, and they were quite delicious. I hadn't had them before. I'm like, I'm going to try those um, and try out some different microgreens. And so I really enjoyed them. And so, yeah, that's a, a great way of bringing it full circle. And we're not quite as cold as you guys zonal-wise. We're more about a zone six, but there's still a good portion of the year that having those sprouts and microgreens in the winter is such a delight. Because even though we preserve so much of our own food, there isn't quite anything like having fresh greens. <laughs> I love that tip. And I love with the sunflower sprouts, they're actually hardy enough that you can get a salad out of them and feel like you're eating something. <laughs> Some of the other sprouts are just so small and stringy that they're really more appropriate on a sandwich maybe than they are as a whole salad. Yeah. So I love being able to create enough sprouts for a whole salad, which for our family needs to be large. So I appreciate being able to grow the seeds ourselves because those sprouting seeds, if you have to do a lot of it, they do get expensive very quickly. I like just growing our own. <laughs> yeah. Well, and sunflowers are so, I mean, from one sunflower, you're going to get quite a bit of seed. So you're actually getting a lot of seed per plant. Unlike some of your other plants that we do seed saving with, you have to have several in order to get a large amount or to have enough. So that's kind of another great thing about the sunflower is it'll give you some quite a bit of seed from just the one plant. Yeah, absolutely. So another plant that I think we hear a bit about, and they're certainly out there for just uh, landscaping purposes, but I think it's kind of minimized in its useful side, and that's yarrow. And that's just one that I almost never want to be without. And even though it grows wild, I still put it in gardens because it is so useful. I want to know right where it is for quick grabbing. And in our house, that is the quick go-to for stopping bleeding. And let me tell you, that just will stop bleeding almost instantly. We've had nosebleeds. We have a daughter who has a tendency towards nosebleeds. And she went through a period of about a year where she was just getting them all the time. She couldn't get them to stop. And as soon as we started putting a little bit of yarrow powder on a tissue, and she just put that in her nose, 
those nosebleeds would stop instantly. But after doing that for several weeks, the nosebleeds went away. She just has not gotten them anymore. And so I really feel like the yarrow has something to do with that. But of course, it's also known for its wonderful internal medicine, which it'll stop bleeding internally also, and for helping with things like fevers, bringing down fevers. But it's so beautiful on top of it. I just love that. But then I think a part that people forget about is that it's really good cosmetically. I have used that on any little acne as I have all the daughters coming up and they're having hormonal changes and they get these acne breakouts on their chin areas from hormonal changes. A tincture of yarrow sprayed right onto that just can really fix that problem. It works with adult acne too. I've tried it a few times. It's very drying and it's very cooling. So it can take down kind of that red inflamed thing that's going on especially with a breakout of some sort. You have to be careful. Don't let the spray get anywhere you don't want because it is very drying. So it's really great if it's sprayed very locally in a small spray or rolled on with a little rollerball bottle right on to, you know, exactly where you want it on your skin. I think that's another one of these really multifunctional, very powerful herbs that I love having. And of course, The pollinators love it and it's beautiful as a cut flower. So you just have these herbs that are just so useful. And oh, I just love having them around. I'm excited for yarrow because it doesn't really grow a ton around here. And I purchased seeds that have all of the different fun colors, but I missed the time of year when it, by the time I got the seeds to actually scatter them. So I plan on scattering them this fall so that they will come up next spring. And I'm super excited. But when you're using them, like you just shared with us, um, topically, obviously, if it's for acne, most of the time, we're not wanting to infuse that into an oil. So are you infusing that into vinegar, into alcohol? What, are, what type of tincture medium are you using with that for the topical spray? Yeah, I tend to do it in an alcohol for that. Although you could use a vinegar, that would probably make it even more drying. So I guess it depends on your specific t- skin type. And the way you may just have to try it in both and just do a small amount in both and try it on your skin to see. Because you're right, in general, for that type of flare-up, you don't want an oil. But in that alcohol or that vinegar tincture, it can be really useful. Okay, cool. And then my son actually does suffer from getting nosebleeds kind of sporadically, but on a fairly consistent basis. So are you just taking the blossom and the leaves and then you're drying them and then grinding that into a powder and then putting it on the tissue? Or what's your harvest process for that? Yeah, all of the aerial parts are usable. So I tend to grab for the leaves before the flowers come out. If I'm just going to harvest for drying and keeping it available for the year, that's going to be your best bet for having the highest medicinal qualities to it. However, I have found that the flowers and the leaves and any part that's available, I've even gone out in the winter and found them under the snow and they're brown and dry. And I'll tell you, those things work amazingly even in that situation. They're really useful, but your best bet for getting the highest quality is going to be to pick the leaves before the flowers are open. And then I just dry them and usually I leave them in whole form until we're going to use them. Of course, they're going to retain their medicinal qualities much better. Any plant is if it's not powdered, if it's stored in its whole form when it's dry. And so I tend to just powder a little bit at a time. When we were going through the nosebleeds, I just make one of those little like, gosh, they're smaller than even the the quarter pint jars, just a little tiny cosmetic jar Mm -hmm. of the powdered yarrow and just have it sitting right at hand. And she would just dampen the end of a tissue and dip it in there and put it, insert it right up into her nose where it was bleeding. It would stop it very quickly. Okay, cool. I'm excited for that one. And a lot of your medicinal herbs, honestly, when you're harvesting them for the medicinal purposes, is best to harvest them before the plant flowers or those blossoms begin to open. That's a good tip to know. I mean, same thing with stinging nettle and red raspberry leaves. That's the case for a lot of plants. So that was a great tip. I'm glad you highlighted that. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. And of course, on all of these, we're talking about them in generality. Many of these plants do have contraindications. They do have things you need to be aware of before using them. So make sure 
each of the plant that you're researching the plant itself before you just go use it. <laughs> you want to make sure that it is safe for you in your particular condition. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. And and just so you know, like neither Caroline or and I are actually certified herbalists. So we're talking back and forth and sharing, but just as she said, it we're not offering diagnosis for you or obviously treatment because you're listening to us, we're not talking to you. <laughs> and even if we were, we couldn't say, oh, give you a, a treatment plan because we're not certified like that. And like the yarrow, I'm very interested in, but I'm going to have to do research because my daughter has a blood clotting disorder, Von Willebrand's disease. And so a lot of things that people will say to use like cayenne pepper and ginger, a lot of those warming herbs, I can't actually use with her because they do affect the clotting, but not in a good way if you have a blood clotting disorder. So I'm going to check on the yarrow though. I need to actually do dig into the research and see how what it actually is doing in the body on like a chemical level and its actual properties on how it's stopping that to see if that's something that she could possibly use. So I'm really intrigued and I need to look into that one in further depth. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. So let's talk about one other herb here or plant that is one of my new darlings because again, I just love having these things that can do so many different things just waiting for me. And this is a perennial that is known for its vegetable and culinary qualities, which is lovage. Now, lovage was very popular in medieval time Europe. It was a very popular food, culinary plant, even a medicinal at that point. We don't tend to use it that way today, but it does have those qualities. And I just really like this plant because in a lot of ways, it takes the place of celery. It's kind of known as a cross flavor-wise between celery and parsley. But if you've ever tried to grow celery, it can be kind of a finicky plant, at least where I am. It's really in the category that needs high nutrition to grow well and to taste good. <laughs> and so I love that I can just have this no-fuss lovage and kind of use it in the place of celery, especially for the first part of the year when the stalks are still young and pretty tender. So you can use it as a food just like that. It kind of gets these tall stalks and these leaves. And this plant can get monstrous as it grows. It can get up to six feet tall and spread quite wide as it forms its own patch year after year. But the leaves can definitely be used as a culinary spice, much more like a parsley I want to say it's more like a parsley with a celery flavor. So there are times where I don't have celery available and I would like that flavor in a food and I'll just put some lovage leaves in because maybe the stalks have gotten too big and too tough. So I really like that. Now, the pollinators absolutely love it. And so that's always a great thing. I just, I want as many native pollinators in my garden as possible and that has the benefit of helping out the annual vegetable garden too, when you just really get those pollinators in there. So that's a really big thing to just keep feeding those pollinators and that'll help with everything. It's a really fun herb with a lot of history, but it is one of those things that's up early in the spring and you can start cooking with it, throwing it in your stir fries. And it has a great, great flavor just really takes the place of some of the annual vegetables that you're out there working so hard on. I love that. I'm glad you said how big it gets because one of the mistakes I made in the beginning with perennials was looking at it in its infancy or like as a one-year-old plant and not thinking about how much it was going to spread and grow year after year. And so making sure you have plenty of space between them when you're putting them in when they're young and immature is really key. So that one gets really big. So that's going to need its own space or it's going to definitely want to be towards the back of your cottage garden. But medicinally wise, how was it used for medicinal purposes? I actually don't know. I was just reading that the other day that in the medieval times, it was really used as a real medicinal plant. I know it was its root that was used medicinally. And the root is also used as a food, like a, a salad type food. Although we still, in, we don't tend to use it that way now, but it apparently is very good. So I'm waiting for this lovage to get big enough that I can pull some root out. I don't know, but that's one of the things I'm going to be playing with in the next year or two as this patch of lovage gets large for me because I just found that out. And that's the one thing I just love about these plants is 
the deeper you go into their history, the more you learn about them. They just have all these uses. I was just reading that one of the queens of England used to take lovage seeds, have them candied, and she would carry them around in a pocket in her dress because she had a sweet tooth. (laughs) And she loved to eat these little lovage seeds. Now, I can't imagine that because I know they taste very strongly of parsley and celery. So I'm not quite sure how those flavors go together, but (laughs) I may have to try it and find out. So you just get to know these plants in a way that's like, oh, wow, people have been using them for thousands of years for all different purposes. And uh, you just get to know them a little bit more. I'll have to get back to you on the lovage on medicinal purposes. <laughs> yeah, I'll be super curious. So we'll be sure to post an update somewhere when we find out more about that one medicinally, because that, that is fascinating. Medicinally. I'm like you, I love learning a lot of these lost things that just aren't common knowledge anymore in modern society. And a lot of it, you'll find tidbits when you're doing research and in, in history-wise and then going and digging in and doing your own research, it's just so interesting. It has so much more story and things than you know just a bottle of whatever off the store shelf. Yeah, absolutely. Here's, here's one little tidbit from you that I pulled from a very old historical book that I was reading that I had never heard of. And so I went and checked it out. And that's that peony seeds, you know, your beautiful peony plants. The seeds used to be used as a culinary spice. Huh. Is that amazing? I had no idea. So now my peonies are just about to bloom here and I'm just waiting for them to set seeds so I can see what that tastes like. I know. And they're (laughs) little It does sound interesting. They're super small. We planted some this year. Okay. Now I'm intrigued. I'm going to have to try that. And hopefully they have strong... (laughs) Hopefully it's a good, strong flavor. Otherwise, it's going to take a ton <laughs> to get a flavor in anything. I was a little thrown off when it mentioned that it used to be f- used to flavor ale or foods that went with ale. Huh. I can't picture what that would be in my mind, what kind of flavor <laughs> that would be. So now I just have to try it. <laughs> I've got this great list of all of these plants and all of their uses that I have in my cottage garden this year. It's got about 45 plants on it. I'll make that available to you guys too, so that you can see what is growing in there. So I'm, I'm going through, I'm looking, what do I have that's, oh, here's another historical one, which is just so exciting to be growing because it's so useful. It used to just be considered one of the primary herbs in the monastery herb gardens in medieval Europe. And that's wood betony. And this is a really fun herb. Again, this is the first year that I'm getting to grow this particular plant. But it's so exciting because historically it was used to treat anything of the head. So migraines, toothaches, all these things. You know, you get these kind of folklore type healing situations. But modern day, it's known to help with lowering blood pressure. Um, There's studies out there from Germany that are showing that it's very efficient at helping with blood pressure. It's known to help with mouth and throat ailments, kind of like a sage would be also. And skin problems uh, because it's very astringent. So it's very tightening of swollen or loose uh, tissue that can really help to tighten down tissue. So I'm really excited about that. But then it's also really, really good as a pollinator-friendly plant and a very fun and beautiful little cut flower. So I'm just loving having that one out there. It's just the nicest little spot. Okay, I'm going to have to look that one up because I'm not even sure what that one looks like. And the German E-Commission, so Germany actually in their regular medical practice, and I know this from when I used to work in the pharmacy, Here in the U.S., we don't have a ton of studies being done on herbs as medicinal, like actual scientific data and that type of thing. But in Germany, they use it in their regular healthcare. So like your regular medical doctor, your hospitals, your pharmacies over there actually use herbs as part of their modern medicine, unlike how it is here. Like normally, if you go to see a regular medical doctor, and if you go see a, an herbalist, obviously, or a naturopath, you're more likely to get some of these, but not really in the regular medical setting. So the great thing is, is the German E Commission, and if you can get 
research on things, Germany actually has a lot more data and research and clinical things on herbs than you can find in a US source. So that can be a great place when you're doing research on different herbs is to look and see if you can find things from Germany. Yeah, absolutely. I love getting to check some of those other sources because there's a lot of places that are much more, their systems are much more geared towards incorporating some of these natural things. And so just like you're saying, they've got a lot more studies and a lot more clinical trials of some of these herbs. And that just becomes a wonderful resource for us as we're learning how to differentiate that historical folklore type of uses of herbs, which are fun to explore and understand. But there are some that just really aren't founded in science, unfortunately. And so trying to differentiate that from a solidly scientific, grounded, especially on the medicinal side, uses for herbs, it's a really good resource for that. Yeah, I agree. Guys, the list that Carolyn has, if you want to get your hot little hands on that, and I'm assuming you do, (laughs) if you've made it through the episode this far, you're probably like, yes, I would love to see that. We will have that in the show notes for today's episode. So you'll actually head on over to my website, melissakinoris.com. You can click on that podcast button and you'll see this episode there. And there's a full blog post that's going to accompany this entire episode. So we'll have things numbered out and listed out. And then we'll have a link there that you can get the PDF document that has the full list of all the cottage plants that Carolyn has in her garden. So thank you so much for offering that to us, Carolyn. I myself plan on getting it. And I know that a lot of people will be really happy to have that. So thank you. Yeah, you bet. Is there any last thing that you want to leave us with as we talk about Cottage Garden and all of these wonderful plants? I think what I would say is you mentioned having some plants that maybe aren't as useful out there, but they just make you happy. Make sure you put a few of those in. I know for me, it's morning glory. I have no use for those personally. I'm sure they're out there, but I don't use them for anything besides just because I just like them. And they're all over my garden. And make sure that it is a place where the plants aren't only healing but the space itself is soothing. And I think that's so important. It takes you away from the feeling of to do, to do, to do that those straight rows in the vegetable garden give you and takes you back to that place where you're just kind of soothed. And so make sure you put the pretty things in and the things you just for the sake of liking them. Oh, amen. I totally agree. So thank you for bringing us back to that tip. And thank you so much for coming on. I'm sure I will have you on in the future. So if you guys are listening, and there's anything that you want more info on, or you're like, oh man, I wish you guys had talked about this more, let us know in the comments or if you're popping a review wherever you're listening to this podcast on whatever app so that we can be sure and get that info to you in a future episode. Yeah, it's been great to get to visit with you guys. And thanks for having me on, Melissa. Yeah, thank you. You guys, was that not amazing? And We got so much good information that I cannot wait to put into use. And some of these plants I already have in my garden and I didn't even know that I could use them, such as the hollyhock. But I'm going to be adding in a lot more of these this coming fall and spring. Now, if you would like to see a full-on tour of both my herbal medicine garden and then our regular vegetable and fruit production garden, I have up on YouTube where I have done two tours showing you both of these things. If you're like me, I am a podcast junkie. Like I love listening to podcasts. It's one of my favorite things. And I'm so glad that you're with me and you're listening to this via the podcast. But there's some things that I really visually need to be able to see. And video does that so well. So if you have not subscribed to the YouTube channel, I post a brand new video every single Wednesday. So go over to YouTube, just type in Melissa K. Norris or Pioneering Today. You're going to see my channel. Go ahead and subscribe while you're there. And then I will also provide links within today's show notes as well to those specific videos. Or you can just go on YouTube, pull up the channel, and you'll be able to see them there. But now we're going to be moving on to our verse of the week. Today's verse, we're going all the way back to Genesis. And it is chapter one, and it's going to be verse 29 and verse 31. This is the Amplified Translation of the Bible. And God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the land and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. 
And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, suitable, pleasant, and he approved it completely. And there was evening and there was morning a sixth day. And I chose these two verses because obviously we are talking about plants and growing, but even though I was born and raised, I'm a fifth generation homesteader, and so having a garden and growing some of our own food is something that I have been doing all my years on earth. And then in my own household, from the time that I got married, we've been doing it for going on two decades now. But even with all of that experience and hands-on knowledge, you guys, I learn new things, as you can tell from this episode, every single year and usually even every season. I'll pick up a new tip or just learn something, figure out a way to do it better than I did it the year before. But it always points me back to how amazingly intricate the Lord made nature and our plants and made us to live in harmony with them. I mean, you look at these beautiful flowers and they're gorgeous to the eye and there's something to be had for just something that is just for the simple beauty of it. But when we consume it, it's got all of these amazing properties and things that it can do to help aid our bodies and to bring about healing and to use it as medicine. And so many of these things, even over the past 50 years or so, has been lost as we've moved to more modern medicine. And so we are rediscovering these, which I think is so exciting. And there's just so much that we don't even know yet. Like I firmly believe that we are going to, with the advance of science and even modern medicine, as we apply it to studying nature and herbs and what they can do for the body. I think there's so many things that obviously God already knows because he created it that way that we don't even know yet. But the other thing that I love is when I am out and going through the seasons and harvesting these and tending them is I never stop feeling immense gratitude and also having my faith renewed as I watch the way that everything works together. And so I hope that you experience that same thing as you go about planting and harvesting the lovely fruits and plants that the Lord has made for us. Thank you so much for joining me, and I can't wait to see you next week on our next episode, and I hope to see you on the Homestead Vegetable Garden and Herb Tour over on YouTube. Okay, guys, until next week, bye for now. Mm -hmm.